First Kings chapter 10. We made it through halfway through the chapter. We're going to pick up there. Now let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love and thank you for your word, which will speak to our hearts and in life-changing ways, and we're open to that. Lord, we want to cooperate with your will, and this is your will, that we be more like Jesus by the end of this evening. We pray toward that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was uh, in very much the same sort of atmosphere with our festive Christmas season that Solomon finds himself spiritually vulnerable and the Lord will appear to the king now for a second time uh, with a very important promise, or if you want to look at it another way, a very dire warning. Now, it was holiday time, just like we have now. It was uh, really Sukkot in the Hebrew, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was a very heartwarming holiday, uh, very much kind of like our Thanksgiving and a little bit of our Christmas, very family-friendly, a week-long celebration. It was generally during the time and the context of where we're at at First Kings, Uh, a time of celebration. It was the time to dedicate the temple in all its glory, a time of glittering gold and joyful singing and feasting and gift giving, sound familiar? Uh, God's abundant provision and and perhaps an overabundance. Uh, There was no king like Solomon and there was no nation like Israel in these chapters. Israel and the king have reached their zenith. I mean, it, they are a beacon in the night to the entire world. But it was in the context of having it all that the king is going to have a fall and all of Israel with him. And this is the context. And the Lord sees uh, all the prosperity and all the glitter and all the glam and all the distraction and, and, and knows that Solomon is vulnerable. And he comes And he's going to warn him tenderly and soberly. Don't throw this all away. You have it really good. And I think these chapters are really uh, emphasizing just how good anybody who knows the Lord has it. And why on earth, in heaven's name, somebody would trade any of it away and forfeit the grace that could be theirs. It's just... Uh, uh, unthinkable. And so really that's the context of what's going on here. And so these chapters are now going to underscore or the rest of chapter 10 underscores uh, what kind of season of great blessing Solomon is, a, is enjoying. Verse 14. Now the weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. A talent is just a measure all right, or a weight. So that's his base salary. We're going to talk about that. Verse 15. That's not including the revenues from merchants and traders and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 beccas of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold and with three minas of gold in each shield. 
the king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. That's part of the, the palace complex there. They're decorative war shields. Verse 18, then the king made a great throne inlaid with ivory and overlaid with fine gold. The throne had six steps. Uh, the throne had six steps and its back had a rounded top. On both sides of the seat were armrests with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps, one at either of each other, one at either end of each step. That's hard to say. <laughs> Nothing like it had ever been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. The king had a fleet of trading ships at sea along with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years it returned carrying gold, silver, and ivory, and apes and baboons. Solomon had a zoo, you'll recall in Ecclesiastes chapter two. Verse 23, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all of the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices, horses and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Kew. The royal merchants purchased them from Kew. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and of the Arameans. Now, we'll pause there. I hope you're getting it, all right? So we know that Solomon is going to forfeit all of this for sensual pleasure. He's going to disobey the vision that the Lord has given. He's come and he's talked to him. Now, we, we know that's coming, but the Holy Spirit wants you to see how insane sin is that somebody who has it so good is going to blow it all away. And so we're taking a look at, at just uh, what this guy is willing to walk away from just for a little self-indulgence. Uh, and we, we take a look. So uh, we're, we're pausing here. If you're taking notes, I would, I would say, number one, outward prosperity. Outward prosperity. Now, you know the saying, all that glitters isn't necessarily what? Gold, right. Because especially when it will seduce your soul. And so it's in this kind of opulence and blessing that the Lord appears to Solomon, chapter 9, and verses four through nine, and he said, watch your step. If I sum it up, he's, he's just saying in a positive way, watch your step. Uh, now in China, there's a lot of uh, translated Chinese in signs 
that have faulty English or English that is awkward. You know, they don't check with an English speaker. They just kind of literally translate it. So all over China, you see little signs when you're getting off of a bus or getting onto a train. And it, 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 I think it should say, watch your step. But instead, it says, mind your toes. Okay, so at first when I saw it, it was like, mind your toes. What do you mean, mind your toes? And I think there's a little bit of British English in that. Uh, but so if the Lord is talking to Solomon in a, in a spiritual sense, mind your toes. Watch out for things that will catch you and cause you to trip and to fall because you wouldn't want to take something so good and so precious and so perfect and so wonderful and just throw it away on a whim because you want something that you think you need or want when in reality, if it's not in keeping with God's will for your life, you really don't want it and you really don't need it. So put positively, he's saying in this setting of what you just read, hey, listen up, Uh, let's keep this dream alive. Love me, Solomon, keep my commands. Walk before me with your whole heart not in sinless perfection, but in wholehearted love. And you will be established, your your future generations will be blessed, your followers, the congregation of Israel. Put negatively, of course, here's how to ruin everything. Become careless, uh, uh, casual, uh, a little bit cocky. Um, Let other rival passions in your heart be what you live for instead of me. To, to be unfaithful, of course, will we'll, we'll negate all this wonderful, uh, wonderful promise. So uh, here's the promise. He says, you'll come undone. If you're unfaithful to me, you will come undone. Now, the New Testament teaches the same thing, and we've been teaching this, right? This isn't an Old Testament idea. We, we always come to God through faith plus nothing. But in order to enjoy the blessing of God, it depends on our faithfulness. And and we, who just love to say we're saved by grace plus nothing, faith plus nothing, we're justified, which is true. But in this life, our spiritual maturity, our blessing, our ability to enjoy the inheritance that God has for us, it all depends on walking with him. Uh, it's just a no-brainer. It's Old Testament, New, New Testament. And uh, he promises Solomon, if you, if you, if you turn away from me, you're gonna, uh, everything's going to come undone. And also, you're going to become an object lesson for, not, for how not to be. In other words, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their faith and imitate their life, right? So that's the way he wants it to be for Solomon and for all of us, right? Look at that guy, look at that gal. See how they live? See how their life is? It's not perfect, but they have peace and they have love, they have joy, they have God's blessing. Follow them, do it that way. But he says, instead, you will be a disaster. People will look at you and go, that's what happens when you don't obey the Lord. And that's exactly what will transpire. It's so sad. The Lord knows how uh, vulnerable Solomon 
is right now, and God loves Solomon, and so that's why he appeared to him twice, to get his attention. Uh, God is for us. Uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, good plans, plans to prosper you, give you a hope and a future, not to harm you. And so that's why he appears to Solomon. Uh, now, the, we've talked about this before, but this, this is what we just read. The prosperous good times can be detrimental spiritually. So watch out if you've had some good spiritual accomplishments. Watch out if you've just got the job of your dreams or the girl or the guy of your dreams. Or, you know, you're just you know, doing well or you feel like God has just used you or blessed you. Just watch, mind your toes, really. <laughs> There's just something that sets your soul up for just kind of a presumptuous kind of thing. Presumptuous meaning, you know, hey, God loves me. I'm under his favor. Christ died for me. He'll always forgive me. And so I could do really kind of get away with this and, and that. And you get kind of proud and cocky and this kind of seduced into a self-centered kind of pleasure-based life, uh, materialism and all of that. And you start thinking it's all about me. Well, the Lord says to Solomon, kid, it's not all about you. It's about me and your walk with me. All of this will come undone if you disconnect from the source. I'm the source of all of this. But sometimes we get fooled into thinking that we have something to do with it. So don't lose sight of the source in the midst of your busy, industrious, blessed little Christian life. Because when you disconnect from him and disrespect the one who gives it all, things don't go well. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, a beautiful. Maybe that's why Solomon says, and I quote, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. Because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 2 through 4. What is he saying? He's saying, looking back on my life, really what got me, it didn't help me to be blessed. It didn't help me to have money. It didn't help me to be a royal king. It didn't help me to have this beautiful palace. These things were a detriment to me because I didn't handle them the right way. I got seduced by the blessing and fell in love with the blessing instead of the blesser. So he writes and he says, you know what? If I had a choice between going to a Friday night party at a college dorm or to a, a memorial service or a funeral of a, of a friend, I'd go to the funeral of a friend. Considering my life and what happened, how I got seduced in the midst of a lot of happy times and blessings and no problems, I would rather, I would recommend a, a grievous time. Because why? Because you start thinking about life. When you're at the memorial service, your heart is open and, and, and you're thinking and you're reflecting on truth. 
And it's time for repentance and course corrections, right? But when you're at the party, there's laughing, there's distraction, there's temptation to excess and all of that. It doesn't always have to go that way, but I think that's what what Solomon was learning. He reflects on his life and says, the festive environment and the abundance didn't help me any. In fact, it's kind of set me up for a little bit of a stumble. So uh, let's just take a look at a little bit of what we read in that paragraph um, and see what Solomon was willing to forego for some unbridled lust that's going to kind of take him apart. Uh, Now, we already knew how good he had it. You know, we've been seeing that. The palace complex is just amazing. But last week, we saw it through the eyes of a visitor, the Queen of Sheba. And it said, remember last week, it said it, it took her breath away. Her spirit left her when she took in the glory of the kingdom and the king with all the wisdom. I mean, check this out. Now, the daily provisions alone for Solomon's table for his staffers, all right? Remember we talked about this? 450 bushels of meal and flour. One bushel is a 50-pound sack. So that's 22,500 pounds of flour a day. A day to feed just the staff of the palace. 10 oxen from the fattening pens, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, or goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice fowl. That's amazing. The wealth, the provision, the glitter, the gold. Now, did you know, here's a map. Did you know, if you look at 2 Chronicles 9, how far Solomon's king kingdom extended? He reigned from, it says, it gives us a description, all the kings of the earth from, from Egypt to the great river. So anywhere west of the Euphrates and south all the way into Arabia, that was the kingdom. And it was kind of a foreshadowing of, of Christ who is coming. You know, the Christmas blessing, a picture of the king of kings. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is giving, given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness and of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. When Christ returns, he will set up on Solomon's throne he is, Solomon is a progenitor of the Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter one, verse six, you'll find Solomon's name in Jesus' genealogy. And so this prophecy uh, given to us in Isaiah chapter nine that I just read just says that this was just the beginning. But this is what he threw away. This is when, when the Lord came to him, he was ruling the earth practically. And he had all of that provision on his table. And he had that wonderful temple. And he had the most wisdom anybody's ever had. And he had the greatest wealth. Nobody on the planet was more wealthy than him. And all I can hear the Holy Spirit saying, if, if it wasn't enough for Solomon, I mean, if, if Solomon could fall, anybody could fall. 
And if Solomon couldn't find uh, contentment in the things he was searching for in the kind of life without the Lord, you, who, who will ever find it? And so Solomon is gonna kind of fall away and he differs from uh, our Jesus is that when our Jesus comes, he's gonna reign and rule without a fall. And so his base salary, thank you for that map, his base salary was 666 uh, talents of gold, $281 million, $318,400. Base salary, all right? Um, if I were him, I would have wanted either one more talent or one less talent to change the number from 666. Now, some commentators say, yeah, there are only two men linked to that number, right? And it would be the Antichrist, of course, and Solomon. And, and some commentators say, you know what? It's not that Solomon is gonna come back and be the bad guy, uh, but perhaps it's a little bit of a signal to say that like Solomon, he starts out good and is corrupted. But you know, that's all just conjecture. Uh, it didn't, um, Solomon wasn't into the money at first. Do you remember when the Lord came to him and said, uh, ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. And he said, you know what? What I really want is wisdom to lead your people. So the Lord said, thank you for saying that because I'm gonna make you very, very wise. I'm gonna answer your prayer and I'm gonna throw in the wealth as well. Somehow, the wealth that God provided was not enough for Solomon because he kept accumulating. He went after the wealth. Uh, and so he, he didn't handle that uh, very well. Um, his palace took him twice as long than building the temple. And he needed more gold for his palace than for the temple. Uh, an ivory throne. With, okay, an ivory throne is great, right? Uh, we have to cover it up with gold, too. I mean, the lions, uh, how about two lions right by your throne? One on your right, one on your left. You need one all the way descending on each side on, on the throne. You know, you, you, you know, you have to have a private jet. Really? Honestly? Uh, seriously? In Deuteronomy, it says, do not think kings, O kings, a law to the kings, do not think of yourself above everybody else. We, Barb and I were clicking through and we stopped on some televangelists that we just love to watch just for entertainment. And, and I don't want to say the gender of this person. Now you know that it's probably a girl, woman, right? All right, so this, this televangelist was saying, they were saying, now do you really think you need a private jet? And she was saying, you expect me to fly on a regular commercial airliner? I just can't do that. I mean, that's, that's just really taxing. That's just really, uh, that's just too much. I'm a servant of the Lord, and I have to have rest, and I have to be composed to bring the word of God. And I was like, seriously? <laughs> Mind your toes. Mind your toes there. You don't... You don't need a private jet, Solomon. But Solomon's gonna go for it. So there's $33 million invested in the gold uh, decorative shields. 
You know, the enemy, God's going to raise up an enemy, and those shields are going to be worthless. He, he, he could have used the real thing, but it was sort of what was going on there. A lot of facade, a lot of gold, a lot of glitter, but not a lot of substance. And so that's a nice little picture there. Um, in verse 20, it says, nothing was like it on the earth. And so we see that God had really blessed him, but it, it, he didn't take it to heart, and he wouldn't mind his toes, spiritually speaking. Um, did, all, did, did everybody need to drink from golden goblets? Everybody? I, I, I'm not sure that that was necessary. Um, he had the fleet with the trading ships. You see, I'm just going through uh, the paragraph. Uh, 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. The word is accumulated, right? Now, here's Deuteronomy. I have that on a slide for you. Here's a word through Moses to future kings. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. The word there is the same, to accumulate the horses. Or make... uh, the people returned to Egypt to get more of them. That's where he got them, of course, in Egypt. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. Egypt just stands for bondage in the world and all of that. He must not take many wives. Oh, we're going to meet them in just a minute. Or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold and gold. So Solomon probably said, you know, I, I'm not accumulating silver. All right. (laughs) Now, each of the kings were supposed to make a copy of Deuteronomy and to read it all the days of their life lest they depart from the faith. Now, here's all Deuteronomy was saying. Guard your heart from being seduced by riches. Number two, guard your heart from being seduced by lust and guard your heart from being seduced by self-reliance. That's what he's asking. That's what he's asking, those three things. Love of money, sexual immorality, and self-reliance. The three things, three lethal things that will take you down in a heartbeat. Now, what's wrong with the horses? Why can't a king have horses? Because the Lord wanted him to trust in the Lord. You see? Look at how many horses were like having tanks. All right? And so the Lord, uh, David, uh, Psalm 20, verse 7. Some people trust in chariots. (laughs) Some people trust in horses. But we, we got a few horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. But this guy He's got the most horses of any king around. He imports them from Egypt, you see? His trust now is not in the Lord. It's in the, the horses out back. Somebody going to mess with us? we got horses, right? That's the problem with the horses. The wives, right there, okay? The money, right there. And he does all three things. And on top of that, the Lord came to him twice and said, you've got a problem area. Watch out. You've got a weakness. Hey, I am taking time to come and show you that this is an area of concern. And he didn't listen. So we've seen him accumulating gold. We see him accumulating horses. What about the ladies? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
chapter 11, 1 through 13, then we'll be done. King Solomon, however, there's the terrible word, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter was his first wife. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations which the Lord had told the Israelites and Solomon, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, oh, that word. We all know the truth. We all know what to do. We, don't, we have consciences. We have Bibles. We have laws of the land. But nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed, these are just, this is just terrible, Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, wholeheartedly, that word is, as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who became angry or who had appeared to him twice. Sorry, verse 10. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept the, the Lord's commands, I'm sorry, I'm, this print is so small. Verse 11, one more time. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I have commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. We're going to pause there and finish up tonight with some reflection. So number one was outward prosperity, and now inward decline. All right? So inward decline. Well, what a disaster. What a disaster. Can you imagine if the queen of Sheba had come during this time to see all of that? Hey, I've heard of your wisdom and the renown of the Lord your God and your wonderful wisdom. And what's that over there? Oh, it's a temple shrine where we do prostitution in the name of this goddess right next to the temple of the Lord. 
What a disaster. Uh, David wrote in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 19, your glory, O Israel, lies slain on your heights, how the mighty have fallen. He's just fallen from grace, just, just a terrible picture. Now Solomon's wives and the subsequent turning. Alexander McLaren, a Scottish preacher from the 1800s, uh, here's a quote from him. Scripture never blinks at the defects of its heroes. Its portraits do not smooth out wrinkles, but with absolute fidelity reveal the faults. He had a great man with feet of clay, but even worse than that here in chapter 11. Let's, let's think about this just a little bit, all right? Because if Solomon, with all of that wisdom, can fall and just end his life in, in disgrace, there's nobody here who's immune from that. You know, I, I met a guy once, and uh, we were having coffee, and he said to me, he's another pastor, and he said to me, I know that if I were 10 seconds in the, in the wrong place at the wrong time, that I would fall. And at the time, I was a younger man, and I just thought, I rolled my eyes, like, are you kidding me? And now, as an older man, I admire that kind of humility. He knows himself. He knows that his heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? And beyond all cure, Jeremiah 17, 9. He knows how deceptive and wicked his own heart is. And so he says, man, the wrong place, the wrong time, 10 seconds, and I'll blow everything. I just know that. And he lives with that kind of brokenness and humility and dependence on God. But the scriptures say, hey, you who think you are strong, uh, take heed lest you fall, you see. So uh, Solomon's fall. You know, some falls are sudden. They happen in a passionate moment where people will ruin their whole lives in a split second. Didn't see it coming, was good for years, and then suddenly, boom, bang, 10 seconds of the wrong time and the wrong place and unprepared for that. But that didn't happen with Solomon. We know it's not like watching a movie and seeing the good guy, the hero, you know, that we all love, and then suddenly he's being tempted and everybody's saying, don't do it, don't do it. it uh, we don't see where, where did it happen? Because there was blessing of the Lord, we don't know. Is, uh, we, uh, we don't see how it started. I mean, you could see the wives coming, right, obviously, because <laughs> there were so many of them, but uh, you, you don't really see it. I like what 1 Timothy 5 says about these kinds of situations. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind. Solomon's sins trail behind. And, and what was it, verse four, that said when he was older. He didn't finish well, and you didn't really get the picture until the end. And in the end, you could look and say, here's a man who no longer loves the Lord. He's turned away to other gods. It was a slow hardening of his heart. Now, there are numerous missteps as we look at this, the wives' things. 
uh, thing here. I think, but it could be boiled down to one thing. Solomon didn't guard his heart. Above all things, uh, who wrote? Solomon wrote. Above all things, Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. Above everything else, guard your heart because your entire life springs from your heart. So guard it. Now, it's, a, it's just really, it's a, really a paradox to read the scriptures uh, that Solomon wrote, knowing how he didn't heed the, his own wisdom. Uh, so number one, where did he go wrong with these wives? Well, he managed, first of all, to sidestep that direct warning. So that's the biggest misstep of all. Secondly, he disobeyed Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, and then um, Matthew 19, Jesus affirms that God's design for marriage is a man and a woman, period. Solomon knew that. He had a wife, and he was in love with her. Song of Solomon, he wrote that because he was a good man who knew the love of one woman. But he was corrupted. He let his heart go, careless. Uh, So the second problem, and it was ridiculous, uh, that he had a thousand wives. Now, come on. Do you know how many shoes that must be? (laughs) That was my first thought. Now, most men have a, pro- have a problem or struggle. Most men have a, a, a strong uh, sexual desire. I mean, let's be real, all right? But a thousand wives, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem, all right? Uh, <laughs> a thousand wives, one wife for what, every day of the decade? What, were, what was he thinking? Yeah, um, well, he was thinking one thing. He has unbridled lust, and one woman can't satisfy his lust, so he thinks that perhaps if he had uh, extracurricular uh, activities, that that would, but that just throws gasoline on lust, on the fire. You have to starve lust. That's what you have to do to put it out. You don't get more ways to... Uh, Whatever. (laughs) Now, uh, looking at Proverbs now through the eyes of a man who was married to 1,000 women, all right? Proverbs 21.9. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. (laughs) Proverbs 21.19. Better to live in a desert than a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Proverbs 25.24. Better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 26, 21. These are all different Proverbs. As charcoal to the embers and as wool to the wood to the fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Whoops. My bad. I need glasses. <laughs> I'm supposed to be wife there. All right. Proverbs 27, 15. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. You know what I have written down here? Maybe if you didn't have so many of them, <laughs> they wouldn't have such a problem. Come on. Come on. Can you imagine the strife? A thousand wives. <laughs> Let that sink into your heads. Proverbs 17:1. Better? This is who's writing? 
Solomon. Solomon's writing this. Proverbs 17.1. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Every time you have in the Bible multiple wives or concubines, you do not find the blessing of God, period. Never. And he had a lot of strife in his life. So he tried to uh, warn people in the Proverbs. Well, he didn't practice what he preached also. Death and destruction, Solomon wrote, are never satisfied and neither are the eyes of man. So verse two, even though God said don't do it, he did it. And it says he held fast to them. It means he cleaved to them. Despite God's warnings and the conscience and the scriptures, he just, he clung even tighter. There was nothing God could do to loosen his grip and his determination. This is something I love. This is something I know it's wrong, but I'm gonna do it anyway. That's what it means. So one writer said, instead of cleaving to the Lord, he cleaved to the forbidden lovers more and was more devoted to what they wanted from him rather than what the Lord desired. So how did it all happen? Well, he, he opened to the thought. He joined himself to them. He tolerated the worship. He accommodated it. He, accust, he got accustomed to it, and then he participated in it, and that's when he grieved God. One writer put it this way. Solomon probably did what many of us do. He somehow thought that he would be the exception, that he would get away with this sin. Despite seeing how it affected others, Solomon learned or should have learned that he was not the exception to this rule. Jesus knew the the passions that lurk in our sinful hearts, and he said, hey, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, Solomon? What good would it be if you could reign the whole world and live like a king and have a thousand wives and blah, 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 and lose your own soul? Or what could a man give in exchange for his soul? Solomon had an answer. Sensual pleasure. That's his price. Now, a lot of people have a price. You see? What's yours? Examine yourself. Know your weakness. The guy in the coffee shop, he knows the wrong place and the wrong time and the 10 seconds. He knows. He knows the area. Whoa, I gotta stop thinking about that. The Holy Spirit says, this will end in tragedy. Don't open that door. Obey it. Just follow what the Lord is saying. So you may be sitting here going, well, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, Solomon, a thousand wives. Oh, man, you know, I got that area covered. How about the other areas? Right? How are you with money? How are you with your, your mouth and gossip? How's your prayer life? Is Jesus your first love? Are you merciful or you're kind and are you a forgiving person? Or are you resentful? I mean, we all have areas 
You know, so don't, don't excuse yourself. So in defiance of God's word, he, he built for his lovers these altars and shrines to demons, burned their incense, chanted their prayers, sang their songs, slept with the uh, shrine prostitutes, went after them. Do you know he built a place for Molech, the God who you would sacrifice your babies to? Now, we have no record that he actually did that, but he built the altar for that God. And what went on that altar were babies. This is just a disgrace. So what did Jesus say? What did the Lord say to him in verse 11? Since this is the way you treat me, after all of this, after my two visits to you, since this is your continual attitude, and cling, 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 There's nothing I can do to pry your hands away from what you want and your big will to do it. After I appeared to you two times, you're going to lose everything. Your kids are going to suffer. The the nation that's following you is going to suffer, and things will never be the same. I've had some people come to me in counseling, and they tell me the whole sordid story, and they say, how can we make this better? And Certainly, there are ways to make it better, but there are some things you cannot fix after you have a fall. Some things that just will never be the same. And I think you should factor that in before you think of any area that you'd like to participate in that you know is a forbidden zone. Some things are not fixable, even in this life, as a Christian, through repentance, I'm sorry, Some things are just not fixable. Factor that in. So uh, we'll save the details for for how God raises up now the enemies to come in and uh, punish uh, Israel for following after Solomon's lead. I mean, everybody's responsible for their own sin. But we're going to see the lion and the lamb, the two sides of the Lord. I like what Paul said in Romans chapter 11. He said, behold the kindness and severity of God. Two sides of God, the lamb and the lion. You really don't want to mess with the lion part. How patient God was with this guy. How patient. And so now, if you're wondering about Solomon's uh, eternal life, Well, I personally think he's a believer who didn't finish well. Um, Like Samson, like Lot, like Demas in the uh, New Testament, just loving the world and departing from Paul. Uh, Listen to what the Lord said to David about Solomon before Solomon was born to give us a little hope about seeing Solomon, all right? Uh, After you die, David, the Lord speaking, through either a prophet or to his own heart, your son will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, through Jesus. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you." You know, so God takes responsibility for his children. The weight of our eternal souls rests in our Father's hands. Uh, 
I don't personally believe you can unearn your salvation because you can't earn it, but I do personally believe that a Christian can ruin their life and forfeit the blessings in this life and forfeit eternal reward and yet be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we mentioned that a lot. You read that chapter and you'll see what I'm talking about. It would have been nice to see a little repentance, right? However, I think the book of Ecclesiastes has 12 chapters of confession and repentance of a man who struggled for for 20 years, his last 20 years of his reign, to uh, obey God and and seek uh, contentment with a life outside of uh, obeying God. Let me read to you, and then we'll close. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 1 through 11. Here's Solomon saying, this is my life. I thought in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure and find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So I undertook great projects. Oh, we've been reading about them. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. And it had baboons and apes and peacocks. I made reservoirs to water groves of uh, flourishing trees. I, brought, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself. Oh, now the truth comes out. And the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. Yeah, we heard about the harem. A thousand wives. (laughs) The delights of the heart of men. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem on the Bible says than in the whole world. And in all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. The 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes is really a testimony about what life is like uh, without God. And no matter what you try to find purpose and meaning and contentment in or joy, it's going to fall flat. It's not going to happen. 86 times in Ecclesiastes, Solomon uses the word meaningless. 86 times. He said, I had it all. And if anybody, he said, and I used the wisdom that God gave me I had a gift that nobody in the entire earth had. I used that to try to find pleasure outside of walking with God and fearing his commands. It came up empty. Oh, what a testimony. 12 chapters of life doesn't make sense. And then right at the end, he says, hey, listen, 
Remember your creator while you're young. And then at the end, he says, now everything's been heard after these 12 chapters. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. That's how he closes the book. So here's what he's saying in short. To all human beings in the sound of my voice, you, you, you won't find it out there, no matter how hard you try. It's only relationship with God, and know this, he doesn't miss a thing. Let the reverence for God guide you, and not your passions, because he will judge everything. Now, in your brokenness, have you ever had this dumb idea, I'll be happy when? I'll be happy when I get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Then I'll be happy. I'll I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy. I'll be happy when I have a child. I'll be happy when I have another one. Because you need two, right? I'll be happy when I have three. Okay, I'll be happy when I buy a house. When I own the house, man, then I'll be happy. I'll be happy when I finish school or when I get the degree. Okay, I'll be happy when I get the job or when I get out of debt. I'm going to be happy when I get that raise. I'm going to be happy when I get that divorce. Sorry. (laughs) When I change my job, when I move out of California. (laughs) No, you won't. (laughs) No, you won't. Because if any of that is what you think is stopping you from contentment and happiness now, the answer is no, you won't. Because if you don't have that happiness right now as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, you're never going to find it. Solomon just tried to tell you in 12 chapters, you will never find it. It's an elusive lie. It's over here. It's the next step. It's then. It's there. It's over there. It's just simply because you don't have this or you don't have this person. Oh, stop. You have God. You have eternal life. You have the riches of his glory. We should think then, I'll be happy when I finally submit to God with all my heart and stop playing games and trying to uh, make excuses and save little parts of my life to do whatever I want. That's when you'll be happy. Back in Solomon's time and neighborhood, the happiest guy on the block was a guy who just had one wife. <laughs> she had a lot of pairs of shoes, but only one wife. <laughs> he eked he by, you know, he had jobs. They didn't have a lot of money, but there was a lot of love, and they had some kids, and he had it so much better than Solomon, right around the corner in all of that glam and all of that luxury. I like what Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says. Be content with what you have. Do not love money. For the Lord has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So be content with what you have. Here are the reflections. There's just five sentences here. Number one. When God takes the time to warn you about an area in your life that needs attention and care, take heed. Number two. As Paul wrote, 
Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Number three, if you walk in the spirit, you will not gratify the lusts of your sinful nature. Number four, guard your heart above all things. It's the wellspring of life. And number five, love God. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love others with the same kind of love you love yourself with. And the Bible says you'll fulfill the whole thing. Your soul will be safe. Your heart will be blessed. And your life will have purpose and meaning and contentment. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a, what a, what a story, what a ride Solomon had. And vicariously, we learn from him, Lord, to finish well, to start well, to finish well by loving God and guarding our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look me in the eye. (laughs) You, my friend, who believe in Christ, you have it way good. You have it good. You have it really, really, really good. There's nothing over here or over there that you're missing out on. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it wide over there and over there. Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many go that way. So I don't care what voice you're hearing, whether it's coming from within or from without. You got it good. Be content with God's plan for your life the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and God's grace. He'll carry you through. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Trust Him. He'll do it, and you'll finish well with no regrets. When everybody sees you coming over the brow of that hill or however it works in heaven, there'll be no cause for regret. Everybody's going to see, there's there's my dad. He finished well. There's my mom. She finished well. There's my son. There's my daughter. Proud. In a holy kind of way. Let's pray. God, we've got everything we need in you for life and godliness in this world. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Help us to walk by the power of the Spirit, to crucify, to crucify the the misdeeds of the body, the promptings that come from the evil one, and to just live a life of love and faithful obedience so we can be blessed and a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen.